Welcome back, folks. This is episode four of the Live Fire Cooking Podcast with Derek Wolf, Christy Vanover, and myself. And today we've got a pretty special episode for you. We just all came back from social feasts in Utah this past weekend. So, Christy, why don't you tell us a little bit about what social feasts is and uh, maybe some highlights from this year's event? Absolutely. So Social Feast is basically a gathering of a bunch of friends who love to cook over live fire, who also love to share all of their cooking experiences over social media. So um, nine of us came together, including Derek and myself, and you were absolutely there too with the fabulous Brio. And we came up with just a variety of recipes that we all wanted to try, some that were new to us, some that we'd done before. Um, and we cooked them all over live fire and then gathered at this huge long table, kind of in the middle of the woods and just enjoyed each other's company. Company, and then eventually shared all of it on social media with all of our followers so we could answer their questions about the different dishes that we cooked and how we prepared them. That is exactly what happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, uh, what were some highlights for you in particular, Christy? Well, you know, a lot of times when people think of like camping food, they might think of hamburgers or hot dogs. And we really elevated things quite a bit um, to kick things off. Um, Derek and I and a few of our other buddies pulled together and we actually hung a whole hog on an asado cross. So doing a whole hog at a campsite is not something you traditionally see. Um, it was about 48 pounds. Um, so that was one of the first cooks. So that was definitely a highlight. Um, and then at the end for the final table, um, Derek and then David from Life Fire Republic actually hung tomahawks over the fire. So we went really, really extreme, um, not only on the on the full meats and the big proteins, but even the, um, even the breakfast dishes. Like we had Mary Graham from A Merry Recipe. She was doing these jack Japanese fluffy pancakes. If you can picture like the size of a hockey puck or like two hockey pucks stacked on top of each other, they were like three inches tall, but about that circumference, um, just totally light and fluffy cooked in a, a big lodge skillet over live fire topped with this homemade strawberry sriracha sauce. I mean, every dish that we had there was completely elevated. So it was fun to see the ideas that everybody had, the inspiration that they provided to each of us so that we could kind of think outside the box on the dishes that we made. And, and then of course, like I said, it's a social feast. We share it all on social media. Um, and just to show people out there in the social world, what else that they can do when they go camping next time. That's awesome. I go ahead, Derek. I was just going to say we were in a uh, campground, so it was really hilarious when we had the whole hog uh, actually leaning over the asado, and all of these people are just walking by, like, yeah. What? <laughs> I was just going to say the same thing. That's what it was the funniest thing because it was Saturday, so people were walking around, you know, going to the store and stuff like that, and they walked like by or through our campground, and it was hilarious. Like they would rubberneck the whole. It was like they'd look. And they look again, and then they'd like be talking back and forth. <laughs> it, was, it was it was definitely. I feel like the the campground had like a whole rumor mill about what in the world we were doing uh, in the in our cabin area. Absolutely, <laughs> Derek. Did you have some highlights from the weekend? I mean, I, I think Christy hit it right on the head. I absolutely love doing the whole hog um, on the Asada Cross. I have had the pleasure of being a part of a couple of those cooks before, but I've never actually just owned one myself. And so I think that that was a lot of fun to be a part of all of it, um, to really hang out with Christy and to kind of learn the ins and outs of doing it. Actually, this week, I'm this weekend, I'm going to be doing uh, a lamb on the Asada Cross in my backyard as well. So this really gave me a lot of experience to get a head start on all of that. But I really think that doing the whole Asada Cross was probably the biggest highlight for me just because, I mean, I, I've been that fire for like 12 hours, 10 hours, 
I mean, it was it was a really long time. So yeah. maintaining that fire throughout and hanging out and drinking bourbon and enjoying everything. I mean, it was a good experience the whole way through. And then uh, I really think doing the tomahawks, the hanging tomahawks that we more or less did like a campfire version of a reverse sear was a lot of fun. I have never actually done it that way, but it turned out amazing being able to hang them around the fire, uh, get them to a pretty good internal temp, then pull them, throw them right in the coals to sear them out. And I mean, they were delicious as well. So hang out David. But I think honestly, the funniest thing is, you know, I cook meat all the time and my biggest highlights are usually never meat. Uh, I think that the baked mac and cheese that we had on the final dinner was amazing. Uh, the fluffy Japanese pancakes were insane. I think that I just have a appreciation for people that can absolutely crush stuff over fire that isn't necessarily meat because that's what I do all the time. So being able to eat some food that was uniquely different, that's something that I would not necessarily cook for my page or for my feed. I mean, it's really hard to beat mac and cheese, you know, and then pancakes like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it was all delicious. Yeah, that was actually something I was going to say as well, Derek, because like when I cook at Brio here, it's mostly meat. It's a lot of big cuts. We work closely with Halteman Meats, which is a you know a butcher. So we're doing a lot of a lot of your, you know, your heavy protein. And what just blew my mind was how many different like intricate recipes people were doing all over fire, you know, on the Phoenix, just all over the all over the place. And like the the, the corn pudding, is that what Dan called it? Mm-hmm. Um, that was just um, like it was hilarious because we're supposed to be, you know, plating everything for the shot. And um, the corn pudding was like kind of off the side. And like someone had taken like a, a scoop out. And then some, some, some of the rest was like, oh, well, I guess we're eating that. And like by the time Christy looked around, it was like half gone. <laughs> <laughs> way, yeah. before, way before it was supposed to. <laughs> um, well, so, yeah, I, mean, I, I think that, that kind of speaks into the fact that sometimes the most like glorious shots. I mean, don't don't let the most glorious shots on Instagram deceive you into thinking that the ones that are not glorious are not delicious. Absolutely. I mean, goodness, that corn pudding was insane. There was stuff that we had out there that we probably didn't even take a single photo of that was absolutely out of this world. And then there were things that, you know, that whole hog was awesome, but that corn pudding was amazing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And then like the fluffy, the fluffy Japanese pancakes with, let's see if I can get this right. Uh, strawberry sriracha syrup yeah, and a fruit medley. <laughs> I won't <laughs> list all the fruit and then pork. It was just like, you know, going back to what you were saying, Christy, about this not being your typical campfire spread. Um, I think we, we kind of pushed the limits on extreme with like the, like the whole hog and things like that. But we also pushed the limits on how intricate of a recipe you could make all over a campfire. Like that whole recipe was made over the Phoenix and um, if you looked at it after it was done, you'd have thought you were at like some, you know, high end brunch place in Manhattan. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. it's just, it's just that, that to me was probably one of my biggest takeaways um, was just a lot of the, like the sweet, the sweeter dishes, like the, the pancakes and the French toast and things that we did over the fire and just the intricacy of the plating and the side dishes and just how much went into the recipes, which is just really exciting to see. 
Yeah, and like Allie pulled off these egg, these roasted eggplants right there on the Phoenix, and and it's something that I'd never had before. Like I've grilled eggplants before, but she seared them on the on the plancha part of the Phoenix, and then topped them with this like buttermilk sauce, and it was like better than the best baked potato I've ever had. Like it was so tender, like you're biting into a baked potato with that like sour cream flavor. But it was I don't know, there was something with pomegranate seeds drizzled on top and some balsamic vinegar, I think. And I mean, it was just like you said, like a Manhattan restaurant. I mean, it was so elevated, but yet really capable and doable on a campfire, really. And I mean, a lot. I think a lot of things when it comes to live fire cooking, when you're in a campfire setting or a camping environment is to think about things ahead of time. Think about what ingredients you need. Think about what you can pre-portion maybe, um, even pre-cooking pasta noodles if you prefer. Um, you know, Getting all of those things ahead of time so that when you're out there, it really is just like cooking in your kitchen. It's just a different type of heat source. And I think that's what everybody did. They came together with some great menu ideas. Um, we got all the ingredients on site and, and it really came together and really worked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And And I think it's just like, for people that were watching online as well, it's like you kind of get to see that 360 effect of like over a whole weekend, you know, morning, evening, what you can do. Cause it's not like, like it's great to do a standalone recipe. It's like, Oh, I should try this next time I'm camping, but to be able to see kind of us going through stage by stage the weekend. And like, for example, you know, the first day we did the uh, asado, the pork on the asado cross, and then we use that pork on like, I don't know how many different recipes a throughout ton, the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just kept showing back up. And so, you know, for somebody that's looking at how to elevate their, their campfire cooking game, they can kind of see how you can like preceding recipes can flow into the, the rest of the weekend. Oh yeah. I mean, I also love the fact that we were able to pair them uh, together with so many amazing things and we were actually able to work together in a lot of ways to create unique twists on stuff that we had already pre-planned, but we were like, you know what? Like, uh, I, I believe it was with uh, Mary who did the huevos rancheros that she threw in some of the ham uh, from the uh, pork that we did on the mm -hmm. asado cross. I mean, even having Daniel out there from Duraflame, when we got done, the pork, uh, the ribs were fully able to just shred apart. And there were other parts of the pork that was absolutely delicious, but the hams take a really long time to cook. And so we just didn't really have the time to handle all of that. So what we ended up doing is just slicing them off, at, like putting a, them in some tin foil with a bunch of chimichurri. And we wrapped them up and dug them into our fire pit, laid a couple of new layers of coals on top, and then threw the actual grates that we were using on top of them. And we let them sit overnight. Literally the next day, they were almost falling off the bone. So yeah, that was so perfect. I just thought that it, it's really fun because when you get so many creative people together that cook over fire and, uh, and giving them tools and things that they may not necessarily have every single day, you know, you get some really creative ideas. And so we ended up using those whole ham, like we ended up using those hams pretty much throughout the rest of the cook because that whole hog can feed a lot of people. So we ended up being able to reuse it a lot of times. Uh, and so I think that that was Probably another big highlight for me is just being able to see cooks be able to cook and be creative and not necessarily have to follow the rules or do anything in, in a singular way. We were able to utilize it in multiple ways and cooking over fire in tons of different ways so that we could show off, hey, you don't need to use just a grill. And if you want to get crazy, do stuff 
where you can actually reuse meat that you've already cooked in multiple ways. So Yeah, and, and the beauty with pork is that it can it lends itself so well to so many different flavor profiles. So those hams, when I pulled them, um, one of them in the morning, that's what went on the fluffy pancakes. And she had that that strawberry sriracha sauce, so it had kind of an Asian flair to it. So I just cooked it up in a skillet with some more Asian flavors, you know, a little soy sauce, a little, I think I had some ginger in there and some garlic. And so that we then we topped that on the pancake. And then later that afternoon, I pulled it and then we went, you know, Mexican style and we did those pork chili verde tacos. So pork is definitely a great versatile meat that you can do so many different things with and you don't get bored with it, you know, over a four day period. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I was telling my wife, Janessa, about the Japanese fluffy pancakes. And I said that we had used pork on them and she was like, used what? <laughs> you, <laughs> you put what on your, on your pancakes? But it, 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 like when you, when you try it, it was, it was absolutely amazing. So um, yeah, I think back to, I know we keep circling back to it, but it's hard to avoid the entire pig on the asado cross circling back to that for another thing for me that and Derek and you and I were talking about this a bunch afterwards is thinking about you know what are other things that we can do like that and of course my mind immediately goes to wild game so I'm looking at trying some like whole venison um, recipes on the asado cross people are doing it I've never once seen it done in the hunting community in America I'm not saying it hasn't been done uh, but there's a bunch of people that have done it in other countries and so I'm going to be trying that. A question I had for, I guess, for both of you is I never knew what went into the basting um, recipe. What was in that uh, that you're basting the, the the hog with? Yeah, so it was um, a lot of white vinegar, um, sugar, and then spices I threw in there was um, some smoked paprika, a little bit of cayenne. Um, then we just put in some big quarters of onions, um, the whole garlic. We didn't even peel it, just you know, just kind of chopped the, clo- the bulb in half and threw it in there. Um, some have lemons. Um, and then we set it near the fire so it stayed really nice and warm, basted throughout. And then as it kind of started to go down, we just would throw in a bottle of beer, throw in a little bit of water, add a little bit more sugar. Um, but then also the pork drippings kept kind of dripping right into that big skillet that we had right there by the fire. Yeah. Would you think that you would use, is that like a a fair, a recipe that would be used for um, like multiple different proteins or is that specifically for pork? No, absolutely. I think you could definitely use it on multiple proteins. I think it would be really good with venison. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I think that would go great. You know, if I were to do it with uh, beef, I might add something that maybe be a little bit more umami. I might throw some uh, dried mushrooms in there maybe, and uh, maybe some additional fresh herbs or something, but yeah, I I think it's really versatile. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would definitely utilize the beer a little bit more um, with a few other of these cooks. I, I think that the biggest portion of it is that you want to get moisture onto the actual meat, especially wild game. I mean, that's not, doesn't have as much of a fat content. So being able to utilize it and keep the moisture on it. So it doesn't really dry out. I think the vinegar base is really good. I like adding the beer. I think maybe even, you know, maybe you could toy a little bit with soy sauce or adding something else in there that could get a little bit more of that umami flavor, as you were saying, Christy. So I think dried mushroom sounds really good as well. So I I also really love adding some spice to it. So I think that adding maybe even some citrus or a little bit of hot sauce or whatever that you want into that, I think would add a a really awesome flair onto that crust. Yeah, you could even throw some dried chilies in there too. Oh, yeah. What are you going to use for the lamb uh, tomorrow, Derek? So I'm actually working on that recipe today. So I am thinking I'm going to make it a vinegar-based Probably go a little bit more herbal, so probably have a little bit more rosemary, some thyme, 
Um, definitely keeping the garlic and onion in there and maybe even add in, you know, maybe even adding a Patagonia cerveza. So something with a little bit of a, a smooth, creamy flair to it. Um, I don't know. What, what, what would y'all do? Yeah, I definitely like the approach with the herbs that, I mean, just when it comes to lamb, that's something that I definitely just tie in with her. You can even throw some fresh mint in it. Mm. Um, that, yeah, that might add a nice little twist to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll throw in all the herbs and see <laughs> what happens. Maybe even make yeah. an herb brush. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What would you use for the herb brush? Like what, what would be the, uh, the brush part? Uh, probably rosemary and thyme primarily. I could probably yeah. add in a few other things as well, but I, I, you know, I need something that has a sturdy stock on it. So mm-hmm. making sure that it'll actually stay together, but I may or may not do that because I do have a mop. So I think a mop would be pretty, pretty easy to maintain. We obviously, we did that really well and it was super simple. So I think that that might be the best case scenario so that I can just allow the herbs to actually sit in the sauce and, and let them simmer enough so that I can get all the flavor. You might right. want to add a little bit of fat to the sauce, to the, to the mop, you know, like maybe whether it be just some olive oil or even some melted butter, since it is more of a lean type of meat, um, that might, that might be a, a nice touch to it. Well, we How big? A little bit of big fat. There you, there go. you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> How big is the lamb? Do you know how many pounds it is? Uh, I don't know yet. I'm picking it up on Friday. So stay okay. tuned. There's, and I'll be doing a recipe video that'll come out uh, in the next couple of weeks. So yeah, I'm really excited. That's, is that, that's a first for the backyard, the backyard cooks? That is a first for Derek's backyard. Definitely not, uh-huh. uh, definitely not a first in, in helping out cook something like this, but definitely a first on being in Derek's backyard. I can't wait to see what my neighbors think. well and you know this was my first whole hog and so i definitely learned a lot of things as we went um you know when i picked up the hog first of all from the butcher ask your butcher if they can butterfly it for you because that will really help um because it's otherwise you're gonna have to get a saw you know and and help it so that it lays flat so you can hang it on the cross um as far as tying it to the cross we i found these metal zip strips online which actually worked out pretty well um and so you know we secured you know, all of the ankles on the different cross points. And then the spine was a really important part to uh, secure. Um, That was a little more challenging. Um, You know, we had to run a knife kind of along the spine on the side and then kind of feed in these zip ties. Um, And then you guys tied it up some additional places. I think after I kind of stepped away, you want to talk about that a little bit, how you secured it there to the cross? Yeah. So we ended up using uh, some extra wire and some stuff to actually make sure that the hams stayed up. Uh, we ended up actually securing the head a little bit closer onto the cross. Um, but all, really anything that we think as the meat will continue to cook, it's going to soften. That tissue is actually going to release and not allow it to be as much tension. So what's going to end up happening is unless you keep it secure, there always runs a risk of it falling. And so especially like the head or things that don't necessarily have uh, that have a lot more weight uh, than maybe the ribs do. Uh, so we ended up securing them and making sure that they were stable. Yeah. I think the one thing that you have to know going in doing a whole lamb or anything that you want to do on an asada cross is like, it's going to taste delicious, but it's going to look crazy. So just get ready to embrace it make sure that it, it works out. But you know, I mean, you're cooking a whole animal that all, almost all of that weight, 
uh, that live weight, uh, taking out, you know, all the inside and everything, but that live weight, I mean, you know, we're talking 40, 50 pounds. So right, you got to right. make sure that it stays secure on that cross. Cause the last thing you want to do is lose anything to the fire. So. Yeah. And so Dan from learning to smoke and David from, um, life fire Republic, they both helped us get it all secured. And then you really took control of managing that fire. And I think it was, I don't know, like a 10, 12 hour cook. It was, it was a pretty long cook. Do you want to talk a little bit about how, um, like how did, I know we rotated it a couple times, you know, to get the front and the back going. Uh, but what was the temperature that you were kind of going for and how did you measure that? Cause you know, you didn't have any thermometers out there. So for somebody trying to do this themselves, what would be your advice for um, maintaining that heat source? Yeah. So I think for me, it, you know, being cooking uh, over fire for, uh, you know, a, a little while, being able to understand that heat, it, it does come a little naturally. So to break it down a little bit to somebody who maybe just wants to try it this weekend, which you absolutely should. Um, I think that it's really easy. I, I really was looking for a pretty decent radiant heat. Um, what I mean by that is I was really making sure that no matter where that lamb or wherever that pig was, it was able to actually feel the heat coming off of it since more or less you're cooking it indirectly. Uh, so when you're cooking directly, you probably don't want to have any live flame. However, to get enough heat to actually cook that hog, uh, for that long of a time, you're going to end up having some flame. Uh, and you really want to keep that flame because what you end up wanting to have is when you step back and you're actually looking at it from afar and you can kind of see the heat coming off of the fire, you want that whole, all of that heat to be angled to hit all of the hog. So I ended up cooking it at a pretty medium to even high temperature. Uh, if, if you're standing near the fire and you put your hand a safe six inches away from the fire, you should only be able to hold it there for maybe three to four seconds without having to pull it away. Um, if you can hold it there for longer, then your fire is not hot enough. And if you can't, if you can hold it there for only like one to two seconds, then you probably either need to bring that pig back a little bit, or you need to actually uh, let that fire die down before you start cooking. Uh, so I was shooting for that three to four second mark. And I mean, I think we, we had it on there the whole time mm -hmm. uh, just because, you know, Hog is a really fatty uh, meat. It has a lot of, you know, meat to actually cook. So we needed to make sure everything was cooked. And we're really, we're not cooking necessarily a whole hog to a 145 per se. We're actually really cooking it. So it's almost falling off the bone. Uh, very similar to like smoking or anything like that. So we were shooting to go, you know, as high as we could, if we could even get over that 200 mark internal, then that would be ideal. So honestly, it was just about maintaining that fire and keeping the heat. And it's a juggling match. I mean, really what you end up having to do is making sure that you can keep radiant heat coming off of that fire for as long as possible throughout the whole entire cook. And, and, you know, the wind doesn't want to work with you and, <laughs> um, yep. you know, your fire wants to die down. You got to make sure you have enough wood to cook through every like to cook everything. So I think that there's a lot to be said about just keeping that fire going and cooking it uh, because I mean, it's not cooking like this is not something where you can just press a button and walk away. So, I mean, we, we worked it the whole day. 
So it was it was a lot of fun, and it, you feel quite a bit of accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And and the, I think one comment that I had when we were there was just I've been to you know a, a, a many events where we've cooked an entire hog in a smoker, um, because you know our Brio dealer network often has open houses and things where I'll be there cooking steaks on the Brio, and then someone will be you know smoking a pig, and that's like awesome. Don't get me wrong, but just from like a entertainment standpoint, or from just like an event in uh, customer engagement, like. Be, being able to see it out there in the open the whole time and see the basting and see the, what the fire is doing. I mean, people were standing around it all day long. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just can't, you can't look away. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's definitely something that I think is an underrated part of the Asado style is just the, the visual aspect of it. Yeah. And as it started to get more and more mahogany, you know, just the, the, it was fun to see the variety of pictures as, you know, from, from just going on to where it really started to caramelize. And then we, we dusted it a couple times with Derek's maple bourbon rub and that really brought out the, the colors too. And so, yeah, by the time we, we pulled it and put it on the table, it was, it was pretty amazing. And then that, that moment, you know, you don't know, you sit there for so many hours, just hoping you're going to get there. You know what temp you're shooting for, but we also had a dinner time that we had to shoot for and make sure we had daylight so that we could shoot the photos since it was social feast. We wanted that social engagement, um, and laying it on the table and just kind of for the first time breaking into the meat to see if we could pull through it and see how it turned out. That was just like, it was just like this glory moment. We're like, yes, <laughs> this is going to work. And, and then everybody just gathered around the table and, you know, just started finding their pieces and, and dipping it with that, that corn pudding. And <laughs> dinner. We didn't even make it to the like main dinner table. It was just like this, it was a social feast. It was like everybody had watched this for the full day and they were just so excited and all the sides started coming to the table and the pinto beans that, um, um, Allie and Matt from Sasquatch Barbecue had made those. Also, took like twelve hours. They started them the night before, soaking the soaking the dry beans. So, yeah, it was just it was just a really I don't know kind of nurturing moment of everybody being proud of the dishes that they created and just kind of really enjoying it together with a glass of whiskey or a glass of wine. And yeah, it's really special. Absolutely, yeah. It was funny because then the next I think it was the next night. We we're like, all right, we have to get a group shot. We have to plate the table. Like, we, we, <laughs> we have to slow down a little bit. We can't just dive in. Um, but it's a good, good problem to have. Um, one question. So I left uh, Monday afternoon and missed the last cook. And I saw that Sasquatch did the bison heart on mm-hmm. the the sear plate of the Phoenix. Did either of you try that? Yeah, I did. It was it was what? super delicious. What was it like? Um, so I don't know exactly how he actually cooked it. Um, but I I watched him cook it. He, um, I think he used his dirt rub and he seared it just straight on, straight on the plate there. He just seared it. And I can't remember that. I think he was going for like a 135 or so temp and he said it got to temp really fast. Um, and then he diced it and then he put it in a half pan with some butter and just kind of got it really glossy. So what was, what, what was like the texture and the flavor, Derek? You know, with a lot of stuff that comes as uh, internal, a lot of it can feel a little soft, which is pretty natural. So it did have a little bit of a, a softness texture to it, but still, it was really hearty. Um, it was it was really good. Uh-huh. Uh, I wasn't so I grew up. My grandfather just absolutely loves liver, so we ate a lot of liver every time that we went over to his house and. Right. So I, I was pretty used to a lot of that, but 
I mean, this was, it was very similar to that. It was like a beautiful mixture between um, having some of that softness uh, that you're used to if you are used to eating organ, uh, but also has um, a, a really nice uh, texture to it. And it, it was really good. I mean, it had a lot of uh, steak qualities as well. So definitely, definitely something to put on your list. Uh, to make sure that you you try at some point next next time you harvest a bison right if just next time <laughs> next time you ra- randomly harvest a bison make sure you try to try the heart recipe yeah seriously you got yeah and the way we got the heart was just happened to be that he knew some folks who were in the area who were hunting and doing some stuff and so they brought him a, a few different varieties of game meat they brought him some fresh elk too and he made these elk burgers that were so incredibly juicy um he just seared him up right there on the phoenix and we didn't even need buns we just like just straight were eating the patties they were delicious well and he was he was flipping them uh, with his hands and yeah. uh, which is just like you know classic trademark Sasquatch, which his is a, a, good, a good time. What's that? His asbestos hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that Scott called them that? I think. Yeah. Or someone christened them his asbestos hands. Um, interesting sidebar on the bison heart. The the guy who harvested that is actually Chad Mendez's dad. Uh, Chad Mendez is like a UFC legend that I've followed for a long time. So it's kind of a cool. Had to have a got to have a conversation with his dad and talk to him a little bit about some of that stuff. It was kind of interesting as well. So, anything else? We're almost a half an hour here. Um, Is there anything else either of you want to wrap up with on social feasts? Um, you know, one of the the meals that we didn't talk about at all was salmon. Um, that was a highlight of one of our uh, meals as well. I think we did that three different ways. Um, one on a pellet, one on um, cedar planks, and then then David from Life Fire Republic did some beautiful, um, just like candied walnuts and sliced oranges. Kita from Girl Carnivore, her version was um, on the cedar plank on the brio, and then she served it in skillets. Again, all fancy with pomegranate seeds and this buttermilk um, sauce to go along with it. And she had some zatar some Middle Eastern flavors and that really married well with um, the eggplant that we had. So it was it was definitely a variety of, of food that we had ranging all sorts of different proteins. Even even David from Life Fire Republic went fishing and caught this gorgeous rainbow trout. I don't know, it was like 12 to 14 inches. He filleted it right there. He he cooked that up that day too. So, you know, we, we went in with a plan of the food items that we had wanted to cook, but then people just really enjoyed the environment of Bryce Canyon National Park and Southern Utah there and just kind of went out to see what else they could kind of forage and um, catch and hunt or find friends who were hunting and and really bring that to the table. So yeah, it was really, really a fantastic event. We're hoping to do this um, at least once a year, if not twice a year, um, come up with more creative ideas that we want to share with people and just get together and socialize over great food. Love it. I'm definitely, I I think as far as like, and that was one thing I was going to ask is like, you know, what's the, what's the future of social feasts? But I feel like at this point, it's for sure going to be happening again based on just what was happening this past weekend. Um, So I'm very excited to see what, what you guys all do on the next time. Yeah. Um, Derek, any final highlights, thoughts, comments, anything on social feasts? You know, not really, except for the fact that, you know, even if you weren't there or, I mean, even if you don't cook over fire for a living like everybody else that was there, I think that the biggest takeaway is that you should go out and do it yourself. I mean, I think Social Feast represents something that everybody should do in and of themselves uh, for their family, their friends, all of it, because, 
if you can get out into nature, you can cook something really fun over fire. You're going to bring people together no matter what you do. So I think that that was my big takeaway with Social Feast is get out, explore, uh, go and check out our nation's amazing public land. Uh, Amen. Enjoy all of the experience. Make sure that you cook over fire safely, uh, but just go out and have a good time because you know what? At the end of the day, we're all meant to do that. And that's to be together, be with people, enjoying food, uh, being around a campfire. I think that was a big takeaway for me is like, man, it just felt really human to be there. Whoa. Okay. I'm going to, I don't think we'll get a better close than that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you did, if you did miss any of the action, um, it's not too late. Just follow hashtag social feasts on Instagram or Facebook, and you're going to see all of the content and all of the different cooks that everybody was doing. So you're not too late to catch it all. Absolutely. And I know there's a bunch of video content that was shot that we probably won't see for a little bit yet, but they were capturing everything. So we'll see a more of an in-depth view of stuff, uh, you know, down the road as well. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Go ahead, Derek. No, just saying heck yeah. Until next heck time. Heck yeah. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on episode five.